Okay, so we are into our last week of a um, four-week sermon series. We've, <coughs> excuse me, we've been doing on the uh, called Jesus in the End Times, and we've been looking, making our way through Matthew chapter twenty-four in the Bible, uh, because this is a, an extended passage where Jesus talks about um, some of the things we can expect to look for before his return. Um, and I know, you know, one of the reasons we did this sermon series was it's always good to hear what Jesus has to say about anything, right? Um, but particularly, I know it's been on people's minds, you know, what is this pandemic we're in right now? Is this, is this kind of a sign of something? Is this, you know, does this mean Jesus is coming back soon? Does this mean we're in the end days? What does it mean? And so I thought, well, rather than me trying to answer that, Let's look at what Jesus had to say about it. And so that's what we've been doing for the past three weeks. And we're going to be wrapping it up today um, with our, our final sermon of this series before we go into Advent beginning next week. And that's, uh, if you felt like this series has been a little bit of a downer, Advent will be an upper. It's, uh, it's an exciting one. So, well, you know, yeah, the numbers are going up in terms of COVID, right? We all know that. We've all been watching uh, the numbers, it's a little hard not to because it, it is everywhere we look, right? But you know what? Finally, in the last week or two, we've had some good news, haven't we? We've had some good news because it looks like there's a number of vaccines in the works that look like they're going to be highly effective against the virus. We're talking 90, 95% effective, right? Which is, has blown uh, the virologists and, and uh, the researchers away. They were hoping if they could get a 50, 60% effective, that would be great. But, so some things are looking very, very hopeful here. Um, and if they're approved, yeah, those doses, some of them could be going out by the end of the year uh, to, to some of the, you know, the most high-risk workers. So there's some good news finally, yeah? And yet, there are still so many unknowns. When will the vaccine be available to all? How long will it be effective? And most of all, when will we be able to return to normal? When are we going to be able to sit here in these pews, take those masks off? When are we going to all be able to gather together again feeling safe? We just don't know, do we? We just don't know yet. We've got a little, a little sign, but we still don't know when all that will happen. And you know, in, in not a dissimilar way, it's kind of how Jesus' return is. We know that he's coming. We know that he's going to be returning and that his return is in the works, so to speak. But we just don't know when. We don't know when. And like the vaccine... There have been many voices saying when we can expect it, when we can expect the vaccine to be ready. There's also been many voices saying when we can expect Jesus to return. And there have actually there have been many false predictions, haven't there? We talked a little bit about this in the first week of the series. But there have been many false predictions about Jesus' return or when the end of the world will be. And I mentioned in our first week of this series, uh, for example, a Korean man by the name of An Sang Hong. Um, who had fa three failed predictions, said Jesus would return in 1988, then he revised it to 99, and then to 2012. Obviously, we're still here. I mentioned David Koresh. You remember him in Waco? 
And there was another person that perhaps you remember or have a vague recollection of um, that got quite a bit of attention um, probably about 10 years ago, a guy called Harold Camping. I don't know if you remember him. He, he had a, a ministry called Family Radio. And um, he predicted that the world would end on September 6th, 1994. <laughs> Obviously didn't work out, did it? Um, when that failed to materialize, he amended it to September 29th and then October 2nd. Still didn't happen. So then he predicted that the second coming of Jesus would be on May 21st, 2011. Wrong again. But what Harold Camping, David Koresh, An Sang Hong, and many others failed to see and understand were Jesus' very words that we just read this morning. Because beginning in verse 36, Jesus says this, but about that day or hour, no one knows. No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So you have Jesus' words right there. Nobody knows. Jesus is saying, not even I know. Only the Father. Now that might raise a question for some of you. Well, hang on a minute. I mean, isn't Jesus, isn't Jesus God? You know, how, how could he not know? How could he not know when, when he's returning? Well, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Give us a little insight here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what that passage tells us is that Jesus did not count equality with God, which he already possessed, to be something he could take advantage of on his own. But instead, Jesus emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Uh, of a servant. So that, that word empty, it means to pour oneself out, which Jesus did so that he could be a servant to us. It was the most humble act that's ever been done in creation. God himself becoming one of us. I mean, it, it beggars belief. That word empty, it also means to strip oneself of position or privilege. So this, this was a willing choice that Jesus made. And so God, because of his great love for us, he became one of us to serve us and save us through Jesus. So what that means practically is that when Jesus was on earth, when he was, when he was one of us, he willingly limited himself in his godly power. It was a deliberate choice so that while he was on earth, he didn't know the day that he would return because he, he had limited his power. And, you know, I, th I think of this idea of sort of limiting your power or your, your abilities. Um, this would bring back memories to me of, of being, in, uh, being in karate class. And, um, you know, if you were a higher rank... Uh, you would often, in the sparring part of the class, you would get put with a lower rank. So imagine you're a black belt and you get put with a white belt. 
Yeah? Well, as a black belt, you're not going to go all out at, at them, unleashing everything you've got on them, because you'd, you know, you'd, you'd kill the poor person. But instead, what you do is you take it easy. You limit your powers. You limit your skills so that they can, they can have a go at you and not get hurt. You know, but it's, it's a deliberate choice that you make as the higher rank to bring yourself down to their level. And that's what Jesus did. It's like he took off the black belt and put the white belt on. So that verse there, it makes crystal clear that no person on this earth knows when Jesus is going to return. Nobody. And so if you, hear, if you ever hear somebody predicting that, stay clear. And if you ever hear me doing that, you send my British behind back to England, okay, to serve queen and country. But seriously, you, you won't ever hear that coming out of my mouth because Jesus just told us. Nobody knows. You're not going to know. And as we get into verse 37, Jesus, he makes this fascinating comparison between what the days leading up to his return will look like and what the days of Noah were like. We've all heard of Noah, right? And Noah's Ark and the flood. Well, I just want to throw in there, there's an interesting thing here. For, for people who doubt, did that really happen? Did Noah exist? Was there a flood? Well, Jesus believed there was. That's why he brought it up. But verse 37 to 39, it says this, quote, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of man. For in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So there's an interesting observation because, so despite, we know there's going to be tribulations and there's going to be troubles that are going on in the world before Jesus returns. And yet, at the same time, there's going to be a certain degree of business as usual. People are going to be going on living their lives. They're going to be eating, drinking, marrying, the regular stuff of life. I mean, think of the times we are living in right now. These these are unprecedented times that we are living in, yeah? This has never happened before, at least not in a long, long time, if ever. Just everything is shut down. We're all walking around with masks on. Fearful. Worried. People getting sick, people dying. Life as we know it has been completely disrupted. And yet, there is still a sense of some degree of normalcy, right? Right? We're still going to the supermarkets. We're still getting our foods. There are people still getting married. I've married somebody at the beginning of this uh, pandemic, Devro and Ella. There is business as normal in a sense. And Jesus is saying, it's going to be like that when he returns, just like it was in the days of Noah. And let's, let's go to Genesis for a little bit of a deeper insight into what were the days of Noah like. So pre the big flood. Um, let's turn, we're going to look at Genesis Chapter 6, verses 11 to 13. Genesis, first book in the Bible. And it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. 
I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So those times leading up to the flood were awful. Everybody's hearts were just were full of violence, were full of evil. And, you know, as we get closer to, to Jesus' return, we're going to see an increase in violence and corruption. Um, you know, we're going to see that in our institutions. You know, you wonder sometimes, are we seeing that right now with everything going on with the electoral process? But perhaps more significantly, we're going to see it going on in many people's individual hearts. You know, there's a scripture in First uh, or Second Timothy says that the, the love of most will grow cold. And we are seeing a bit of that today, aren't we? You know, as we push God further and further out of our society, it's the more morally bankrupt we're becoming. But life will go on as normal. And then suddenly Jesus is going to return. And it's going to catch a lot of people off guard. Listen to verse 40 and 41 here. It says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Now, many people read this. And, you know, if you're, if you're somebody who's are you familiar with the word the rapture, we talked a little bit about the rapture last week. You know, and, and again, if you weren't here, it's this sort of idea that at Jesus' return, he's going to zap up so to speak, people will be taken up in the clouds, all the people who believe him and that those who don't are left behind. And there was this big famous series, wasn't it, called the Left Behind series. Uh, it was a, uh, that was a, a huge success in the book industry and some movies were made. But if we look at this verse in context here, Jesus is saying that it will be like this in the days of Noah when he returns. What's Jesus saying here? He says, well, who were the ones who were taken away in Noah's time? The ones who were taken away in Noah's time were the ones who got taken away by the flood. The ones left behind were Noah and his family. So yes, it's possible that those who are taken away will, will be the faithful ones. But it's also possible that the ones who are taken away are going to be the ones who are taken away to be judged while we remain here with Christ. But you know what? Either way, because we can get lost in those kind of arguments, right? There's, there's a larger point here. And it's this. When Jesus returns, and remember, he's going to return. When he does, what will separate us, what will divide us, it won't be our race. It won't be our gender. It won't be our socioeconomic class. It won't be whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Those things won't matter to God. All that will matter and that will separate us is this question. Did you accept my son Jesus or did you reject him? That's the only separation. That is the only divide there will be. As we go on, Verse 42 here. What happens now is Jesus uses some parables to get his point across. And the message, the main message that Jesus wants to tell us here becomes really clear. And it's this. He's saying, keep watch. Be ready. Be on guard. And the idea here is kind of like a night watchman who's, who's tape, taking care of the grounds or whatever. And he's just keeping watch. 
He's on guard. Jesus says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day your Lord will come. And that's the point again that we don't know when that day will be. But in the meantime, what we need to do is just is be vigilant. And Jesus, he goes on to use this example of if, you know, and I think this is true for all of us. If you knew tonight that your house was going to get robbed, if you knew it, that at 3.32 a.m. this morning, there's going to be a burglar who's going to try and rob your house, what would you do? <laughs> not, be there, not be there. Probably a good answer, but not the answer I need. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing you wouldn't be doing. You wouldn't be sleeping, would you? Right? You would be up. You would be awake. You would be staying guard. You would be vigilant. You would be looking at that clock. You'd be looking at that door. Maybe you'd (laughs) have a weapon waiting for him. But you would be keeping watch. You would be staying watch. And that's what Jesus is saying here with this example he uses of a thief coming in the night. He then gives a second parable. And with this parable, he gives us two alternatives. And in the first alternative, there's a good servant whom is put in charge of his master's household while he's away. And the good servant, he takes care of the staff, makes sure all is well. And he's rewarded when his master returns. Then Jesus gives the second scenario, which is that of a wicked servant. One who instead, while the master is away, he beats the household, ends up spending all his time eating and getting drunk. In other words, he's, he's not keeping watch for his master's return. He's not staying alert. And so we get in verse 50 and 51. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's three points we can take away from that parable right there. The first one is, number one, at Jesus' return, what we call the final judgment, people will be judged based on how well they were good stewards of what God had given them. You see, what we have to realize is that all of us Every one of us has been given gifts and skills and natural abilities by God. All of us. I don't care how unskilled you might think you are or like, I don't know what I'm good at. Trust me, you are good at something and that's because God has given you that as a gift. And we're supposed to use those gifts to to bring glory to God and to bless other people. And, you know, often people wonder what a wasted life looks like. And I will tell you that a wasted life is that that doesn't use the gifts God has given them for God's glory. That's the first thing. Secondly, we have to be good stewards of what God has given us throughout our lives. All right? So this isn't just like for a couple of years, a couple of months of my life. No. We've got to persevere. We've got to endure. Run the race to the end. Remember, the race is not given to the swift. It's given to those who endure, who persevere. And then thirdly, 
Another thing Jesus is telling, trying to tell us through this parable is that be careful. It's dangerous to put off accepting and putting your faith in Jesus. Because he just told us his return will be unexpected. It's going to catch many people off guard. And what Jesus is saying, don't put off for tomorrow because we don't know if there's going to be a tomorrow. Don't put it off because it might be too late. So as we, we come to the end of this sermon series, Jesus in the End Times, there's, there's a few points that I want you to take away. Number one, keep watch. Be ready. Live your life in a manner that is, is pleasing and honoring to God and stay vigilant. Now that doesn't mean you walk around in constant constant place of paranoia and that you see everything as a sign. Oh, oh, oh that means he, he, Jesus must be coming back. No, he's not asking us to walk in fear and paranoia. He's just saying, be, be vigilant. You know, know how to see the times. We don't have to walk in fear. I want to remind you of something. We are the people of promise. And the promise is that Jesus is going to return and he'll claim us for, his, for himself. Number two, do not be fearful. The Bible has that phrase, do not fear, or something similar to that over 300 times. And I always say, do you think God was trying to tell us something? Do not fear. If you're a follower of Jesus, in particular, his return, it's going to be the most glorious, wonderful, exciting day of your life. It's going to be amazing. And then thirdly, I would just say this, and this goes for if anybody's sitting here this morning or watching at home, if you haven't yet made that step of faith in accepting Jesus, do it now. Do it today. It's, it's, it's no coincidence that you are hearing this message right now. It's no coincidence you are sitting here or that you are watching from home. That is God reaching out to you and saying, I love you. I'm speaking into your life right now. And so if that's you, if you're here today and that's you, let's talk. Let's talk after the service. If that's you watching at home, then email me, call me, let's talk. Finally, as I mentioned, next week we enter the season of Advent. Four weeks before, or the four weeks leading up to Jesus' birth. And it's a wonderful season, it's full of hope, it's full of joy, it's full of expectation. And I think there's an interesting contrast here because the first time Jesus came to us, it was as a, a helpless baby. And what a contrast it will be when he comes to us a second time. No longer as a, as a helpless baby, but this time as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. His revelation tells us his hair will be white as wool, his eyes like blazing fire, and his voice like rushing waters. I just want to leave you with these words from, again, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus 
Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you are the God of promise, um, that you have not just left us to uh, our own devices, Lord, so to speak, but that you love us and that you've promised us that you will return. And so, Lord, I ask for your blessing on each of us uh, here today, sitting in the church, and all those watching at home today, Lord, that if, if there's somebody out there who is, doesn't know where they stand with you, Lord, not sure what to think of you, doesn't know who you are, I pray, Jesus, you'd speak into their heart right now. Reveal your truth to them. Call them to you, Lord. And would they just give their life to you today, Lord, knowing that by doing that, they have just stepped into an eternal life full of joy and wonder with you, Jesus. We thank you that you're a God of mercy, that you love us so, so much, that you want the best for us, that you have blessed us with gifts that come from you. Help us, Lord, to use those gifts for your goodness, for your kingdom. And I pray that through that, we also would be blessed. And Lord, as we, as we go forth today and uh, get ready for Thanksgiving, I do, I pray your blessing over us all. I pray your protection over us, Lord. Um, if we're gathering with any family members, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom in how we do that and that you would protect us. Keep us safe from this virus. I pray against any sickness and I ask for your protection over our church that you have so faithfully watched, Lord, during this pandemic. Would you keep us all safe from the virus, Lord? That it would not come near our church or anybody who is part of our church. We lift up Jeff to you, Lord, as he waits for his uh, COVID test. And we just pray that it's negative, Lord. That he remains in good health. And for anybody else, Lord, who's dealing with the sickness now. Would your healing hand come upon them? We just pray for the nation, Lord, as the numbers go up, that, Lord, you would just do a work of healing. You would bring the numbers down for us, Lord, and that we would be able to celebrate the holidays with loved ones in a safe way, Lord. Most of all, help us to trust you, Lord. These are fearful and anxious times, but help us to know where our tr real trust can lie. It's in you, Jesus. And so we offer this up to you, Lord, knowing that you are the God of goodness and the God of mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.